0: In this episode, you'll find out more about crafting a remarkable business proposition that really does offer fair exchange for the value that you bring to the table. We'll also talk about Reid Hoffman's new book, Blitzscaling, and his advice to overlook customer service and focus on rapid growth and the dangers of putting yourself out there.
1: Digital Bacon FM. Because I know the track Wilding wouldn't have been good enough. How are you, Mr. Barnes?
0: Hello, sir. Thank you for that delightful introduction. It's um, it's an absolute pleasure being able to uh, you know receive such uh, accolades from a man (laughs) of your stature and
1: standing. Well, thank you, kind sir. Now. Uh, as I said to you via um, WhatsApp this morning, I know we're going to continue with our conversation on building a monopoly with no money invested. But I was watching CNN yesterday, as is my want, and they had an interview of the founder, one of the co-founders of LinkedIn called Reid Hoffman. Um, yeah. And he was touting his new book, and I was listening to what he was talking about and it flies in the face of what you say on some points. So I wanted to ask you these questions and get your take on it.
0: Well, tell me what Reid Hoffman said first so that I understand the context. Uh, and then, uh, by all means, throw the questions at me.
1: Okay. So his new book is called Blitzscaling, and it's based yeah. on, on some uh, conversations that he's had at Stanford and the basically the premise of what he was saying was yes uh, yesterday was forget customer service forget everything and get as big as you can as quick as you can and then come back and fix the problems and he cited two companies one being facebook and the other being uber and how they achieved growth in a very short space of time and he used facebook to say listen he got to a certain size, and then he brought in high-level management to actually structure his business in a very business-like sense. Whereas the chap from Uber grew big, but then he didn't make the investment in people and fix the customer service aspects that he had, and therefore they have two very different sets of problems. Now I know that when you're growing your business, and and you know, uh, I would say that. Blitzscaling is another way of getting to a monopoly in the shortest space of time. I know you approach yours with customer service and delivery first. How does that, how does that differ from what uh, Reed Hoffman was saying?
0: Well, okay. So, you know, my mantra is how to build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested, right? Mm. So if we look at both LinkedIn and we look at Facebook or Uber for that matter, um, Facebook were in the right place at the right time, they uh, had proven that there was uh, a social graph that could be acquired through their activities in um, uh, creating the the, the the Facebook for what what I believe was Harvard initially um, by the time that they had sort of pulled in several thousand people from Harvard, they turned their attention to other universities. Um, And as I understand it from an interview which Peter Thiel gave, who was one of the first investors in um, Facebook, by the time uh, Mark uh, Zuckerberg and his buddies uh, landed in uh, Peter Thiel's office, Peter Thiel had already made the decision that they were going to cut the check. In fact, the, the check was there basically waiting for them to take away because it didn't matter what what um, uh, Zuckerberg had to say. Uh, essentially, the, the traction that had been attained and the numbers that had been acquired together with the overall understanding of, 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 of being able to map a social graph like that uh, was something that they were happy to invest in. So the bottom line is that um, Facebook... I had access to real capital right from the very get go. So uh, to try and compare what I'm suggesting with building a monopoly from nothing with no money invested via the Facebook um, model is really, you know, it's like apples and oranges. It's two different things going on, quite apart from the fact that, you know, there isn't anybody in your listener base with the greatest respect to your listener base because I include myself in that. Um, you know who would have the ability to um, achieve a kind of a facebook type outcome uh, from any any of the initiatives that they go into for a whole variety of reasons, not least being in the right place at the right time with with, with the technology at the right state of development and and, and, and people 's expectations of what technology can do for them at the time that facebook was was really sort of coming out of the traps they were they were happy to sign up to that, to that type of service so so Facebook had gazillions of dollars available to it. So you can't really compare what they're all about and what I'm suggesting. Hmm. Um, While science, I, I do, I do sort of understand what Reid Hoffman is talking about, but these these guys live in the ivory towers of having, you know venture capital at their disposal just walking across town and, uh, and, and cutting over 5 million or 10 million or 50 million or 100 million dollar check to uh, to be able to uh, implement a blitzkrieg I think that's what you called it type strategy and then dealing with customer service afterwards because there's no doubt about it you know if you think about uh, what Uber did and you think about what LinkedIn did it was all about getting the service out there as fast as they possibly could um, and in order to get the the, the, uh, the service out there as fast as it possibly could, you need capital to do that. Um, my proposition starts from nothing more than um, having a, a discreet and extensive knowledge of a particular niche where you can add value, it can answer questions, help solve problems, and then and then provide a service to people that uh, that need to have those uh, problems um, addressed by someone of your expertise and caliber. Mm. So, so I do think that we are comparing apples with oranges uh, in uh, in sort of the Reed Hoffman stuff because um, what I'm suggesting is available to absolutely anybody you know who doesn't have any money because i didn't have any money whereas you know not everybody's a uh, has got the ability to build a facebook or an uber and uber you know still isn't profitable when it's got Got billions of US dollars put into it to create the platform that they've got, and mm. uh, an, an endeavor of that scale, uh, you know, needs that kind of capital. Whereas, you know, what I'm all about, I can apply my knowledge in Hong Kong immigration. I can apply my knowledge in this thing called intelligent content marketing. I can do it with uh, through generating content of my own making and um, yeah sure today i've got um, i've got a production team and i've got staff that help me achieve you know the things that uh, i'm able to achieve at this point simply because you know i've been able to grow um, my early activities from nothing into to the point where i've got now I've got the resources to, to continue to invest into it so uh, i think we're uh, we've got a bit of a sort of a false a false analogy there all things considered mr mm. uh, mr black but, uh, but 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 you're thinking the right way if i may say so. well
1: it it wasn't it wasn't a matter of comparing what they do to what you do i just found his approach quite interesting given that we've talked about Putting the customer first all the time, and he just has has got a completely different view on it. Um, so yeah, I thought it was quite an interesting an interesting interview. Um,
0: well, at a time where, at a time, at a time where you know you're putting out, you're building a new platform that's that, that, that's that's producing something that is 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 new value. Um, then you know people who especially early innovators that are, are that are happy to have a go at that. Yeah, as long as the technology basically works, then they're not really ha- they don't really have too many expectations of s- customer service, not least if they're not paying for anything, right? Mm. And Facebook have, the users have not directly paid for anything. Uber, of course, have paid, but but uh, but to, to cite the LinkedIn and indeed the, the Facebook example, you. Um, you, you know, Customers can use that that's that technology and use the you know the functionality in that service without uh, without having to pay for anything, um, and so from from that perspective, you don't have to worry about the kind of customer service that I'm institu- uh, that I'm espousing. Mm. Um, you have to just worry about actually getting the technology service right, and uh, with a bunch of propeller heads and the whole. whole uh, and a whole um, a plethora of uh, a bank vault full of venture capital at your disposal. Um, you know Anybody that's really sensible and they've got a decent, uh, decent opportunity um, And, and that can persuade venture capital to come into their deals, invariably, stand a pretty decent chance of being able to be successful.
1: Mm, okay. Right. We are on Module 3, Chapter 9, Being Remarkable. Take it away. Yes. So
0: Monopoly. Monopoly in uh, 36 chapters, 10 modules. Um, really, just sort of moving on from uh, the thing we discussed last time, which was I believe the golden rule and uh, the variations uh, thereon um, you know which we have discussed this previously, so we may be at risk of uh, of repeating ourselves um, but you know in the connection economy where information is basically uh, available for free for everybody, and with such huge competing sort of demands on our time uh, and not least our attention. The only thing that uh, has any real value in the connection economy, in my opinion, is people's attention. And so if you're going to develop a business proposition using the web, and Don Tapscott says, you know, inevitably all businesses are going to be inextricably, you know, interwoven into the web, that's what it's all about. Um, Then you need to have something about you and uh, you need to be remarkable and being remarkable is Seth golding all over again and uh, and purple cowism and uh you know when you look at the definition of uh, of remarkable uh it means it's worth talking about it's worth noticing uh it's exceptional it's new uh, and it's interesting so uh if you 're just another whole hum provider of uh, of a particular service that 's that 's selling what it 's selling via the typical sort of industrial economy modality and all you 're doing is you're using the internet as a kind of a an online brochure so that the odd punter can come along and just check out what your website has to say, then you know by by implication you 're not going to be remarkable there, so you need to look at you know the availability of um of something different happening using the internet and all its capabilities, dovetailing into and married with your um, knowledge of the particular niche that that you have, knowing your customer, and um, then putting something together. That's just just very very different, and uh, and then using the fact of its differentness and the reaggregation of, of disaggregation and reaggregation of value as you can do uh, with a web-based service. Um, to come up with something new, interesting, and remarkable. So, so that's what kind of being remarkable is all about. And you know, you have to be remarkable in a way that's meaningful to your audience, to the people that you want to have uh, uh, relationships with. Um, you need to be remarkably useful. That's what I found is this sort of the acid test of remarkableness if you will it's like you know how useful can you be with your web proposition Mm. and if you can be remarkably useful and you can be remarkable just because of the way that you've you know positioned yourself you've dressed yourself up the way that you posture in front of customers, the way that you sell your stuff—if um, it's completely different, but it still delivers the kind of value that customers want, as long as it's ultimately based on being useful—then, uh, then I think you're on your way. So, so being remarkable is integral. Mm. Okay. Now, what we did in terms of you know being remarkable over the long haul is we made a commitment to. Um, a content proposition that was not only going to be at all times definitively stated and up to date, bar a, a few weeks, you know, to get some editorial adjustments to, uh, your, my content once the, you know, new changes have been announced and have been sort of introduced to the way that the immigration department operate here. But certainly, uh, you know, having content that's bang right up to date, uh, and, and being, um, uh, committed to answering people 's questions and helping them solve their problems in, in sort of in an ongoing fashion, recognizing that that 's at the DNA of, of what we do to bring new business in. Um, essentially, uh, our uh, eternally purple cow that we built um, was to uh, work from what I 've couched as epic content, you know the kind of stuff that, when you land on the website, all of a sudden you go, "Wow!" Everything I could possibly need to help me solve this problem is all located here in one place. I don't have to go anywhere else. It's all up to date. It's all, you know, bright and interesting to look at. It doesn't use, you know, jargonistic language. It's not legalistic in the way that it's approached. It's it's written, you know, as though it's being... Um, uh, been spoken to me as a as a normal sort of punter who's got this problem who's got this uh, solution that uh, that I'm looking for so so you know epic content and building an eternally purple cow are two sides of the same coin and uh, mm. uh, and, and really it's not difficult to do that stuff you just for example, just need to look at the kind of approach that we've taken uh, and you can um, you can develop a content proposition that 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 touches you know all those key elements for success, I believe in the connection economy mm.
1: now, is there a danger of putting yourself out there now I know you have a lot of content, I know you go and do radio, I know you do talks et cetera et cetera, and quite often. You uh, people, especially your position, my position, get asked questions uh, about the current political state or any other state. I know that when I did interviews for radio, et cetera, people would say, well, what do you think about them having separate awards for female chefs? What do you think about the introduction of... Uh, food trucks do you think the government is doing the right thing or the wrong thing and where do you think it's going to go so you get taken out of the realm of what you know based on your expertise in certain (laughs) field is there a risk for you for example um doing what you do if you get asked questions and how do you handle them
0: well you know it's a great it's a good question jason and and Sometimes I get faced with um, questions that are um, could could potentially backfire on me if i mm. if I answer it the wrong way or if I interpret or misinterpret you know what a, a question is trying to get at so ultimately it depends on who the questioner is and what the motivation is for asking the question mm. um, i've over time, I've been able to, you know, understand uh, when sort of the barbs are being fired at me, if you will, to try and sort of uh, get me to say something provocative or something that, uh, um, you know, might not ultimately go on to sort of represent my best interest because you can't please everybody. Sure. Um, what I've what I've concluded over many, many, many years of being in the public domain is that the only thing that counts is the information that I give that allows somebody to get their visa approved. Mm. sometimes um there are instances where i am asked to uh, couch my opinion and i will give it you know full 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 throated full bore mm. um i've been a huge um advocate for uh, the recognition of same sex relationships and the grant of dependent visas in hong kong for oh for 15 20 years i've been 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 banging on about that thankfully this year that Got resolved, and that's no longer a problem. Mm. So, you know, I've taken principled stances on on a few things down the years that I think are are worthy of taking a principled stance on. But in the final analysis, the things that I take principled stance on are those things that 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 are reasonable and and actually represent good immigration practice at the end of the day. Because, you know, the Hong Kong Immigration Department do a bloody good job all things considered particularly when you compare them to other immigration jurisdictions but you know they are a government department they're part of the security bureau uh, um, sometimes they get things wrong. And when they get things wrong, it has a very, very negative effect on on, on, on real real lives. And, sure. you know, Immigration Department, you know, I think should be taken to task uh, on occasion for uh, some of the uh, policy positions that they, they adopt that uh, lead to um, difficulties for people that are unnecessary, all things considered. So in those circumstances, you know, I will absolutely take a principled stance. Mm. In other circumstances, you know, I get quite, I get off and get up. Get Often asked about, you know, the impact that uh, that Beijing is having on uh, on on the rule of law in Hong Kong and the way that society is unfolding and all the rest of that, mm. uh, and, and and I don't get involved in any of that. I I have got. Um, my own particular views as to what China's all about and the way that uh, as a society and as an economy and as a government, uh, they have evolved in the last 50, 60 years. And um, irrespective of you know individual instances of uh, challenges that one might wish to make against the way that the Chinese government operate, you can't take away from the fact that they got 1.2 billion people and the Chinese Communist Party hold that um, hold that country together where historically it's never been able to be held together in the way that it has. And it's taken 50 percent of its population out of dire poverty in the last 40 years. Yep. <laughs> you, look, you look around the rest of the world, there's no other countries doing that. So, you know, um, I think uh, I think you've got to. Uh, be occupying some very, very well-polished ivory towers to be able to uh, to, to to sort of you know throw spears at um, at uh, China and uh, and criticize them for what they're all about. Mm. In so far as Hong Kong goes, you know I've been here for thirty odd years now. People say that Hong Kong is changing. Hey, Hong Kong is changing all the time. It changes every seven years. when I when I reflect and look back and think how, you know, um, life was experienced for me when I first moved here in 1987, and how it's experienced now, and knowing everything that we've gone through from two Gulf Wars, SARS, 9/11, Asian financial crisis, global financial crisis uh you know occupy central the jason sign leaving. british joint declaration hand back jason leaving all that kind of good stuff <laughs> you know it, hong kong hong kong is a dynamic constantly changing place and and only if you've been here for you know a very long time like i have do you actually have the opportunity to to actually see that uh when people today are complain not complaining we're making the point that hong kong is changing well the reality is hong kong's always changing so there's nothing new in that and what we have today is just the Latest iteration of the Hong Kong thing that we've got, no better, no worse than it ever was. It's just Hong Kong. So, so to tie that back to your question. So, yeah, um, when it comes to Hong Kong immigration, um, I on occasion will definitely take a principled standpoint. um, For the main, when it comes to other contentious stuff, uh, I always query what the motivations are of the questionnaire mm. uh, and then I, then I then i say is say it as i think it is uh without wanting to you know uh, stray really one inch away from what my mission is all about and my mission is just to help people get immigration permissions in hong kong
1: mm. so i mean if you take the example of that um the financial times editor um recently victor victor malich yeah. who, who got it confused yeah. now yeah i'm surprised that um Nobody got hold of you, and perhaps they did actually to ask you from a from a visa perspective if that's if that's possible. But you know, there's a, a gazillion oh, people but, who get refused. You know,
0: well, it's completely completely possible. So that you know, the context behind that for your listeners who are not aware was that we have a um, an nascent um, political movement, if you want to call it that, that's emerged in the last three or four years, all starting ultimately with, this, with the students being. Um, upset with uh, uh, the way that uh, politics and uh, governance was unfolding in uh, in Hong Kong, so we had the Occupy Central thing two or three years ago, mm. which um, which which made things very very difficult for a lot of a lot of people. But anyway, we we sort of we passed through all of that, um, and uh, in the wake of that, there has been two or three instances of some of those in fact, naive young political leadership that have tried to take on. sort of the the beast and uh, have ended up getting their hands burnt as you would expect Mm. Um, and the most sort of recent uh, iteration of that was uh, the foundation of a a political uh, institution that was advocating independence for Hong Kong well you know you've got to start to be you've got to be a little bit sort of you know real politic in uh if you're going to be a politician and the idea that you can suggest that hong kong has got a future independence of china is just wrong on every front not least that hong kong is an inalienable part of china and you can't get away from that and that's the reality so you know so um you know sort of you know uh, suck it up and, uh, and and live with it that's the reality but anyway um this, this particular individual, I think his name was Andy Chan, um, uh, was invited to speak at the, uh, at the foreign, foreign Correspondence Club, which is a, a private club uh, in Hong Kong that uh, is frequented by uh, a lot of expatriates, but not least the journalistic uh, community. And um, for one reason or another, the FCC, the Foreign Correspondence Club, invited this young man, Andy Chan, to come and give a talk on independence. Uh, and at the time that uh, he was invited, both the uh, uh, Hong Kong government and the representative of the Chinese government politely asked them to rescind the invitation. So under the guise of free speech, the, forest bon- forest, the FCC, um, with the chairman of Victor Mallet, uh, in any event, allowed the presentation to go ahead. So um, uh, the guy came, he gave his talk. As it happens, a couple of weeks later, the uh, organisation was legally proscribed, uh, and that put put you know an end to the whole idea of uh, of that independence party in Hong Kong. And 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 good riddance to bad rubbish, in my view, frankly, because uh, you know, these guys are just rabble rousers and just trying to pursue uh, political ends in Hong Kong that are impossible, just don't serve anybody's best interests. It was just immature. Uh, Be that as it may, under the guise of free speech, this talk went ahead. So that was that. As it happens, just by pure serendipity, a few weeks later, it seems, that uh, Victor Mallard, who was chairing this session at the FCC, his employment visa uh, was up for routine renewal. uh, Mm. And upon application for his extension of stay, the immigration department refuses application and they won't give a reason why well you don't have to be a complete rocket scientist to know that if you've got two arms of the government coming along and saying to you please don't do this it's not in any best interest irrespective of your motivations for doing it and they go ahead anyway well you know there is a concept of being a guest in someone's home and victor Mallet isn't a permanent resident of hong kong um, and uh, for one reason or another you know, it was determined by the powers that be that uh, he was no longer welcome, so they wouldn't extend his uh, employment visa. So him and his wife had to leave, uh, and that was the, uh, you know, that that whole uh, that whole instance. So yeah, nobody did reach out and um, and ask me about that, but I did make some comments publicly about it um, on uh, on various websites, and uh, you know, it was to be expected, frankly. Yeah, um, I'll, if I'll, you are a guest in some, somebody's somebody's home, you know, and you don't play the game according to the rules, then why put your you feet be on the couch? here?
1: Absolutely. Bingo. Yes. Sir, Bingo. I know that I know that yeah. you have a uh, a client meeting at uh ten thirty and you're asked to be let off at ten twenty-five. So that's thank you that time. You have a great day and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Keep on being remarkable, Jason. Remember and, it's all about being different.
1: And you, sir, have a good day. Digital Bacon FM.
0: By now you have a deeper understanding about how to craft a remarkable business proposition. So join us next time to find out more about how I built a monopoly by giving all my IP away for free.